0: Hi everybody! Welcome to Howard David Live. Uh, We've got to bring in Brian Gelsiler from Sirius XM NBA Radio. Uh, we talking before we came on about the Rangers win last night. Uh, I mean, they're down three games to one to Pittsburgh, come back and win. Down o two to uh, to the Hurricanes, come back and win. I mean, th- it's amazing to me that as young as this team is, that, that they have this kind of resolve. Yeah. Listen, it's. I will tell you.
1: You get it. You got some fantastic goaltending in that Game 7 win last night. Yep. And short of the one game in the Penguin series where Shesterkin struggled, he has been fantastic. He has made every big save they've needed. He's, uh, you know, he had one hiccup last night leaving the goal on a power play, and they burned him for it. But he, by and large, has been absolutely fantastic. And, and the fun part about this for the Rangers is that, yeah, this is a great run that you're seeing here. But with this young group, we can get used to seeing runs like this for over the course of the next three to five years, because it's really a wonderful, wonderfully young group and a lot of fun to watch. Great group of guys, and uh, and having a guy like Kreider there who can finish when it's time to finish, 52 gold score. Just a major, major piece. It makes it feel like the Rangers got as good a shot as anybody to win this thing.
0: Yeah, why not? I mean, yeah, Tampa Bay's tough. They've won back-to-back Stanley Cups. you got to give them credit. But this Ranger team, I mean, I'm watching the game last night, and every time I, I turned away, every time I turned away, the Hurricanes had the puck in the Rangers end. And you were saying to yourself, you know, as even though they got off to a quick start, a couple of quick goals, they're up three to nothing, and I turned away. And my wife just held up four fingers, and she said, "They just scored again." Uh, look, it's it's great for the city. It's great for the for hockey fans, and I've been a hockey fan. We used to go to the old Garden when I was in high school. My friends and I we'd sit up in the rafters for about fifty cents a ticket, and we, the, the Rangers they, they were okay then, but they they couldn't compete with the Montreal Canadiens, who were the the dominant team at that time. But It's exciting as hell. I I think it's tremendous.
1: Uh, I agree. It's fantastic. And, you know, listen, my father, God rest his soul, became a Ranger fan when they won the Cup in 1940. He was 12 years old, Uh. and he was a guy that would not miss a game. And one of my great memories was leaving the sports bar I was at in the intermission of Game 7 in 94, between Period 2 and Period 3, to go home and watch the third period with him and watch the Rangers pull out that Stanley Cup. Um, this is fun. It, there's not a time I don't watch them where it's not an emotional experience or because of what that was to my father. So I really, this is a special, special run here for the Rangers. And listen, they come out, they play like last night, man. They can of this thing. There's no reason they can't go through and win this whole thing if they're going to play like they played last night.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, let, let's uh, switch gears, talk about uh, the NBA Finals that begin on Thursday. I said it before Uh, the playoffs started, and I guess you felt the same way too. People were just waiting to see if we're going to see a return of last year's final with Phoenix playing Milwaukee. Obviously, it never materialized, but I got to tell you, all the years I'm watching the NBA, I am stunned by what happened to the Phoenix Suns. I mean, they're up 2-0 and then won one of the next five games. Not only did they lose, but they got blasted almost every single night. Who could have accounted for that?
1: Um, no one could have, and that's the shocker with them. There was some stuff bubbling under the surface that you're hearing about now, regarding um, regarding Devin Booker and some of his leadership stuff, mm. and DeAndre Ayton and what went on between him and Monty Williams and Ayton, who, by the way, when you see what Kavon Looney did to the Dallas Mavericks. DeAndre Ayton's not so out of line asking for the ball more because he they had no one that could contain him inside. And so this stuff with Ayton, his frustration is somewhat understandable. But I have heard a lot regarding Booker's leadership and the Sun. That's not a good thing. Booker getting into it, some guys in the Mavericks' sidelines, players on the Sun side not necessarily having Devin Booker's back. It, it very quickly became a disconnected group. And I will tell you, all my years of watching sports, Howard, I'm right with you. I have never seen in a Game 7, in an NBA game at home, a team that was considered the best team in the league by a large margin and the likely favorite to win the title literally, literally just quit in the middle of the second quarter. They just they quit. They waved the white flag, and that was it, and it was over. There was no fight in them whatsoever. And to me, I, you know, I, we know DeAndre Ayton is going to be out of there and is likely to get dealt. But for Phoenix, there's something a little bit sicker there. Bonnie Williams got a big challenge ahead of him, and we have to see what happens with the Sarver suit also. This whole Robert Sarver investigation to, that began at the beginning of the season, those results are likely to come here in the offseason, and we got to see how that shapes Phoenix's organization for the future. Because I'll tell you this, as of right now, Robert Sarver doesn't plan going to go deep into the luxury tax, which means whatever they get back for DeAndre Ayton, is going to be light in terms of of, contracts. may not be light in terms of picks and players, but it's going to be light in terms of contracts. The Phoenix Suns are not going to be operating like a large market team at all and are not going to go into the tax as long as Sarver is still the owner of that team.
0: Golden State beats Denver four games to one. They then beat Memphis four games to two, and John Morant missed some time there. But it's amazing to me how well Memphis played without Morant when he was injured, not only during the playoffs, but during the regular season as well. And then the Dallas series, before that thing started, I said that there's just no way that Dallas can compete. You match player for player, and it's just Golden state has got way too much talent, and Dallas has got, you know, Luka Doncic. Okay, that, that's great, but, you know, predictably they went out in five games. Meanwhile, Boston, you know, blows through Brooklyn four games to none. They, they then beat Milwaukee, And then Miami, and the series with Miami, a couple of questions about it. I'd like to get your opinion. The Miami team, uh, look, Jimmy Butler's had a very nice playoff run. There's no discounting that whatsoever. But uh, Tyler Hero uh, missed a couple of games. Uh, They got a lot from out of bio, you know, from, you know, one game to the next. But when you look at this Miami team and you realize that both Boston and Miami are outstanding defensive teams, I wasn't stunned that Boston won, a little surprised that they won game seven in Miami.
1: I wasn't. I picked them in game seven in Miami. What did surprise me is how they let Miami crawl back into that game and have Boston in the last three, four minutes of that game look like a deer in the headlights. And it makes me a little bit nervous about Boston in an NBA final. Because Miami was coming and coming hard. And and Boston just seemed to... Miami gave them a defensive look where essentially they were inviting Marcus Smart to take as many threes as he wanted. Mm -hmm. He couldn't throw one in the ocean. And so... It made me a little bit nervous about Boston there. Um, I, I listened to a point where I don't know if I can pick Boston in this NBA final series just because experience-wise, it yep. reared its ugly head at a bad time with them. Miami looked like the more composed team into the end of that game. That's one of the reasons I did not I did not mind Eric Spolster not calling a timeout when Butler got the ball in his hands. You're never going to get a better matchup like that. Butler coming down with a head of steam on Orford and Orford backing up. I didn't like the decision by Jimmy Butler to take a three there. I felt like if he goes to the basket and takes a two, they, they had they an 11-0 run. They had just gotten a bunch of stops. They had a formula. I'm okay with Smart taking that shot in a tie game. More than that, because Spoke kept the timeout in his hip pocket, You could have called timeout and gotten the ball to advance to midcourt and being able to call a play with a chance to win the game. And so, to me, I felt as though, you know, at the very least, you could put overtime on the table, which I thought they should have done because I thought Miami with all the momentum that they had. In fact, they were on an 11-0 run. I don't buy the argument Butler was exhausted at that point. You know what? At at that point, you're going on fumes.
0: You're going to play to – can't play anymore until you drop and Butler hat Butler's always been a guy that has that in
1: him so I just didn't love that decision Um, but listen coming up in this final I'll say this for Boston they're going to be able to switch every screen against Golden State which I think is going to help them a lot my biggest concern for them is turnovers because if they turn the ball over to Golden State Mm -hmm. in a similar way they turned it over to Miami Golden State will punish them in ways that Miami never could and they will lose a series, and they may lose it early if they don't take care of basketball.
0: No, I would agree with that. Let me go back to the shot by Butler. He makes that shot. We're not even talking about this, okay? So he didn't make the shot. Everybody's second guessing it. His coach backed him up. The players backed him up. What do you expect? But you go back to, uh, you know, the, the and you mentioned it briefly about the experience of Golden State. Their roster. They played 123 games of Finals basketball. The Boston Celtics don't have a player that's ever been to the finals. I mean, this is Al Horford's first shot in his career. He's an in, he's an integral part of this team, the Celtics, but look, so goes Jason Tatum, Geltz. you know this. So goes Jason Tatum, so go the Celtics.
1: Correct. And and by the way, Tatum has been he's been spectacular
2: at times. He's also had a couple of rough games where he hasn't yes. been great. Yeah. Now, what's interesting in this series for Golden State
1: their primary Tatum defender, at least the beginning, is probably going to be Andrew Wiggins. Now, Wiggins did not do the best defensive job against Luka Doncic. Where he really pressed Luka, which I thought was great, was he made Luka guard on the other end of the floor. He attacked, and I think you'll see a lot more of that out of Wiggins in this series but a big development for golden state here is going to be the return of gary payton the second yep payton is a wonderful perimeter defender and to have options besides wiggins besides thompson in terms of who's going to guard tatum and who's going to guard brown it's a huge thing an enormous thing for golden state to be able to have him back to, to defend boston in the way that you're going to need to defend boston listen tatum, tatum may be the best player in this series but he's not Steph Curry. And and what's happened with Steph Curry over the years is he's understood the what to do in the moment to make winning plays. Well, what do I mean? If he needs to be a three-point shooter and that's what they're giving him, he'll shoot threes. If he needs to pull up in the mid-range because that's what they're giving him, he'll pull up in the mid-range. He'll do it against, it against Dallas, which is eat them alive at the rim and go right to the basket. By the same token, if you're layering up on him and doubling him up, he'll find open people. He will do whatever needs to be done on the offensive end of the floor to win games. And that's something that comes from experience and savvy and being there before. Mm -hmm. To your point, Boston is none of that. Boston has none of that. Marcus Smart's a cowboy. He's going to do what he does, and at times it's going to be fantastic, and at other times it's going to be hard for Boston. But there's going to be more pressure on Jason Tatum and also by extension Jalen Brown in this series than either of them have ever felt in their careers. Keep in mind, they had been to conference finals before. You know, Four in the last six years for this team, four in the last six years for Brown, three in the last five years for Tatum. So they this this stage they were on here, they had failed on that stage multiple times when they were finally able to push through Miami. And they almost didn't push through Miami. They panicked late in that game and they got lucky. This is the and and not that this is the most talented iteration of the Warriors that we've seen. It's not. But the whole Curry Thompson Green thing and those guys having finals experience, I think is gonna be a major major asset for the Warriors going
0: into this series. Brian Geltziler, SiriusXM, NBA Radio. If you can feel good about somebody, regardless of who you're rooting for, you got to feel good about Klay Thompson after what he's been through the last couple of years, and he's been such a big part of where they are now. I mean, you can't, you've can't. you got to be... Just tip your hat to this guy who, uh, I mean, two years in a row, season-ending injuries, and look what he's doing right now. And, it, and he's such a terrific teammate. And Curry, Curry's looking for Thompson. Thompson's looking for Curry. Draymond Green playing excellent on the defensive end. I think you've got what you've got here. Look, beginning of the playoffs, what did we expect? We kind of, at least I did, I expected Phoenix and Milwaukee for a return match from last year's finals. Didn't happen for all the reasons which we outlined. But you look at a number of these teams, look, the, the Warriors have led the playoffs in scoring. They're averaging over 116 a game. Boston, like about 107. But people don't understand this. We talk about the good defensive team in Boston, in Miami. Golden State's underrated as a defensive team. They're a really good defensive team.
1: Excellent defensive team. And to your point, they they were second in the league in defensive efficiency by fractions uh, under the Celtics. And the Celtics rallied to get there. They are excellent defensively. And they have a guy that directs defense is better than anybody out there in Draymond Green. You know, one of the reasons they're as good as they are is not because they have individual defenders, because Green is probably the best team defender in the league in terms of where he goes, where he tells other guys to go, their positioning. One of the things they're very good at, and they're going to need it this series, is they rotate and recover very well, better than almost anybody else, maybe even better than Boston. And these are two of the switchiest teams you'll ever see. But I do think that Golden State is going to blitz more on pick and roll and switch less. Reason being is that, you know, if I'm Boston, my initial goal in this series on the offensive end of the floor is to put whoever's Curry, Curry is guarding, which is likely to be Marcus Smart, in every single pick and roll yeah. and see if Golden State's going to switch Curry off the ball, whether it's Tatum, whether it's Brown. And then if they're doing that, I'm going to attack Curry. Um, if I'm Golden State... What i'm going to do is blitz both those guys is send if it's curry who's on smart and smarts the screener send curry plus tatum's man whoever that is wiggins let's say at the ball to get the ball out of their hands and then let golden state start to scramble because curry who's not a wonderful on-ball defender but one thing he is very good at is recovering to an open man to get back onto a shooter Mm -hmm. so i think golden state's going to have to end it they're not major defensive changes but they are defensive changes I think schematically, they're going to have to change a few things around. This is stuff that they don't play a large majority of the season. They're just a switching team. But blitzing Tatum and Brown is going to be huge. Because I said it to you earlier, Howard, if you can turn Boston over, that's a death knell for Boston in this series. Miami wasn't necessarily good enough in the open floor to punish them enough for all the turnovers in that series. Golden State, when they get out in transition and they get these transition threes, forget it. They'll bury it. And that, so that, to me, the single biggest factor of both teams is how well Boston takes care of the basketball.
0: You'd have to go back to 1964 to see the last time the Warriors played the Celtics. That's when they were the San Francisco Warriors, and they had a guy named Chamberlain going up against Bill Russell. Uh, I mean, that's part of NBA lore and NBA history uh, when you remember the two of the greats that ever played the game. Uh, But that's what the great thing about the NBA, amongst a lot of things, is the fact that history plays such a big role. When you look at the success of Boston, when you look at the success of the Lakers over the course of time, uh, there's just so much to stand up and go, wow, look at all the greatness that we've seen. And we continue to see it. And, you know, as these teams... Evolve. We're starting to see more teams taking more of a, of a role in deciding who's doing what. But there's somebody recently the Lakers named Darvin Ham as their head coach? Um, I I wasn't surprised because he played the game. A lot of coach, a lot of owners, a lot of general managers like the fact that they hire a coach that's played the game. And you know, the, and, and he was in Milwaukee as an assistant. Uh, I, I think couple uh, made a big deal about the fact that the Bucks were losing Darvin Ham, which was interesting.
1: Yeah, listen, Darvin Ham uh, is, and I've had the occasion to interview him a bunch of times, he's a dynamic guy, he's a bright guy, he's really, really well-respected around the league. And, you know, it, it's interesting, because I had Brian Windhorst on my NBA radio show on on, uh, on Sunday morning. And he made a point that was that a lot of the same characteristics and the same things you hear people talk about with Ty Lue before he was a coach, they talk about with Darvin Ham. So Darvin Ham there is a, appears to be a very good fit with LeBron. The other thing is he's the guy LeBron wanted, and I think for the Lakers here, LeBron going in the last year of a deal, they have to be concerned with what he wants. They really do. Mm. You know, this is you're, you're pod committed with LeBron James right now, whether for better or for worse. This is the guy that you signed for four years. This is the guy you mortgaged the future of your organization to build a winner around. I know he's older. I know he's going to be 38 years old when the season starts. And I know he has trouble staying healthy. But when he's on the floor, he's still as good as anybody. And so they have to worry about pleasing LeBron James and all this. Yep. And if Darvin pleases LeBron James, great. That's a fantastic thing. And that's kind of what they've done here. They've gone ahead and they've hired the guy that was James's choice. I think Ham will do a very good job there. I just worry about the roster. The roster is—you know—what are you going to do with Westbrook? Are you really going to bring Westbrook back? Are we really buying this nonsense that Westbrook not fitting in was Frank this fault? And because that's what he got blamed for. I, I think you have to be very careful with something like that. And I think if you're if you're the Lakers, um, one year left on Westbrook's deal, you, if you're willing to take on a couple of long-term deals and guys like LeBron want to stay with him, play with long-term, I think you have to look at that possibility. You know, and so I, I the Lakers, I swear, listen, Ham's going to be fine, but unless they do some things to improve on this roster and they find some two way guys on minimum deals, which, wow, is that hard to do? Yep. um I think, you know, I think maybe it's a little bit better, but I think it's likely to be a lot of the same, Howard.
0: Uh, well, that plus the fact, look, Anthony Davis, if you're lucky, he plays 60 games. Uh, he, he's just, he's injured every single year. Uh, do I think they're going to move him? That's going to be hard to do. And, I don't know that they want to do that. I don't think LeBron James wants to not play with Anthony Davis. But you're right about Westbrook. Uh, uh, there's no question about that, I I think. But the question is the difficulty. Not only that, the Lakers have very little wiggle room. They don't have a first-round pick until 2027. And I don't know where they are cap-wise, but it's going to be really difficult to, to put the Lakers back into the mix again to challenge for a championship.
1: Oh, uh, I don't think I don't really think you can. First of all, we got to see what happens with this roster. But as of right now, they, were 30, they won 33 games and didn't make the play-in tournament. How can make them a championship contender? Right. No, you can't. I, I mean, and, that's, and again, I know there was injuries involved, but when everybody played, they weren't very good. So, it, you know, it depends. They're going to have to make some meaningful changes to this roster. That's the bottom line. But listen, they're under a lot of pressure. And and if you and if you're the Lakers, you do kind of in the back of your mind wonder, I got two picks that are tradable right now. Do I want to be trading my tradable picks here if I'm at risk for losing James? Yeah, oh, that's it's a fair question to ask. Yep. Yeah. You know, and then and then it becomes a self pulling prophecy because if you don't use the picks towards something, you, you can lose them anyway. So it's the Lakers are in a brutal position. And I'd like to say Rob Polinka's in a brutal position, but the one thing that gets Rob Polinka off the hook here is he's not the one making all these decisions. He's the one that's got to be accountable for all these decisions. But Jeannie Buss has got her committee of six between the Rambuses yep. and Magic Johnson and Phil Jackson and LeBron and Rich Paul. So all these decisions are made by a big group, but you got to be very careful how much you're going to listen to LeBron. Because LeBron will tell you what to do, have it go bad, and then tell you you shouldn't listen to him and leave anyway. So, it, it's, again, there's so much unenviable about this situation for the Lakers. With that said, I, I think Darvin Ham is a, a good coach, and I think he'll do a good job there. And if I'm Darvin Ham, it's an opportunity
0: I wouldn't have passed up. No, I, I agree with that. You want to be a head coach in the league. I mean, Kenny Atkinson, I thought, did a good job with, with the Nets. Uh, I, I thought Terry Stotts would have been a good choice as well. I don't have any problem with what they did. But getting back to, you mentioned Frank Vogel before. I think they fired the wrong guy. It shouldn't have been Frank Vogel, and you're right. There's too many cooks spoiling that broth. Uh, I mean, does Polinka get fired? I don't know because he's, let's face it, you're right. I don't think he's the one making the only decisions. So, look, they're in a, in, in a pickle right now. How they get out of it, I'm not that smart enough to figure it out. But let me ask you this. They
1: can't, they can't fire, real quick, Howard, they
0: can't fire Polinka because Polinka didn't want the Westbrook deal, and the Westbrook deal blew him up. Yep. Polinka wanted, he wanted the deal he made.
1: Which was that buddy heel deal where you kept Contavious Caldwell Poe. and whether that would have worked out, who knows if that would have worked out? But I think it probably would have worked better than Westbrook. So for Polinka, you you, know, you you overruled
0: him on a deal he wanted to make because it's what LeBron wanted. You can't hold him responsible for it. No, nope. yeah, no, yeah. I, hey, you look around the league. I mean, the superstars have a voice with a lot of the franchises. We we, we know that. Let me go back to that, uh, one of the turning points of the season. Uh, it didn't result in contending for a championship. It was in Philadelphia. They make the trade with Brooklyn. And you go back to February when that Harden deal was made and Simmons goes to Brooklyn and Seth Curry goes and Andre Drummond goes and draft picks, et cetera. Who won that deal? Anybody?
1: I, You know, my buddy Bobby Marks always says this hour. He says that you can never judge who won a deal until three years after the deal is made. Uh, this one, it's tough to tell. I, I, I will tell you that I think, it, this is how crazy it is in Philadelphia, Ben Simmons hasn't played a game yet for Brooklyn, and has had back surgery, and I actually still think they won the deal. As crazy as that sounds. Hmm. Because Philly's in an awful spot with James Harden. They really are. That they have to, you know, they're, they're in a position where because they gave up so much for him, he has them over a barrel contract-wise. So, what are they going to do contract wise with him? Um, You can't give him a five year max, right? Right. Is there a market out there for a five year max for him? Will somebody offer that to him? I'm not sure. I don't think so, but who the hell knows? So, Philadelphia now, to be able to have a market, you know, a fair market deal on James Harden, has to literally risk losing him to do that. So, they may have given up Simmons, Drummond, Curry, and two first round picks. For a guy that they could potentially lose this summer. And now do I think they're going to lose him? I don't. But they gave that up for the privilege to overpay him into a bad contract. So it's, I don't love any of it for Philly. With Brooklyn, we have to give it time because until Simmons hits the floor, um, you can't really pass judgment on it and see how well Simmons fits. And Brooklyn has their own issues. They got to decide what the heck they're doing with Kyrie Irving. Um, you know, as of right now, they're unwilling to pay him long-term. And for Irving, you know, his best bet may very well be to opt in for the last year of his deal, play as well as he can play, and then put either Brooklyn on the spot or, you know, look somewhere else. Now, for Irving, I think if he looks somewhere else, there's only one place he'd look at. And that's the Knicks. Because for Kyrie Irving, he has – the quality of life for him is – you know exactly what he's always wanted in him living in northern New Jersey in the town that he grew up, and that's where Kyrie wants to be. And I don't think he wants to go and travel and move and be somewhere else. I think he likes being near his family. This is what works for him. So and then the Nets know that, and feel like he has him over a barrel. Now again, they risk him having a dalliance with the Knicks. I don't know that he's ready to do that right now. I think if he comes out and gives them a really good year this year and they're still not willing to go the whole way on a max contract, I think that might change things a little bit.
0: Um, But I think as of right now, my guess is Kyrie opts into his deal Mm -hmm. uh, and ends up up staying in Brooklyn for this year. I agree. Uh, You mentioned the Knicks. Julius Randle. If you're the Knicks, you trade him or you keep him?
1: I don't think it's that simple. I think that, you know, I think you have to see what you're going to trade him for. And I mean that, you know, you're not going to get a lot of value for him. So if you think you're going to get a lot of value for him, you're, you might as well not even look at trading him because you're not. If you want to say he's a bad contract, we'll swap it out for somebody else's bad contract. That becomes interesting. But the guys that you're looking at there are Westbrook who, from everything I hear, the Knicks don't want, even though I think he might be a good choice for them. And you can get off more than just Randall on that deal. Um I think that would be interesting for them, but I don't think they're gonna do it. I think a Indiana trade involving Randall and Malcolm Brogdon is very interesting because Randall's a really good basketball fit there with Halliburton as their point guard Miles Turner as their big and they got Duarte as one of the wings and to get TJ Warren back. I think Randall could be a really, really good fit um in Indiana. And I know that, that with Halliburton there, they're not thrilled having Halliburton and Brogdon and Malcolm Brogdon is enough of a locker room lawyer. I think they'd be thrilled to move off him. So the, that's one that I've heard is out there. The other one that you hear some rumblings of is some kind of swap with Charlotte regarding Randall and Gordon Hayward. Mm-hmm. Hayward spends, as usual, a lot of time hurt. But keep one thing in mind, when Charlotte ponied up all that money for Gordon Hayward a couple of years back, the Knicks were in the bidding and decided not to bid that high. Um, Leon Rose is always like Hayward, were. And I think for, for the Knicks, they're looking for a different mix here. And I also think they want to free a spot up for Obi Toppin. Now, I will say this about Obi Toppin, Howard, for as good as his numbers looked, it's hard to evaluate a player on the first 10 games of the season and the last 10 games of the season. And Toppin's defense and, more importantly, his rebounding are elements of grave concern for the Knicks in terms of what we want to do with this guy long-term. With all that said, you just haven't seen enough out of him to be able to make a determination if he's worth paying long-term. And as long as Randall's there, you won't see enough out of him that allows you to make that choice. So unless you can put Toppin in a deal and go for a now starish type of player, and I don't know if that's out there for them, I kind of think you have to do something to move off of Randall here. Now, what they do and how they do it, I'm not sure. Listen, at the deadline, I know there were conversations between the Sacramento Kings and the Knicks regarding Julius Randle and De'Aaron Fox. The problem was the Knicks wanted Fox Plus for mm-hmm. Randle, and Sacramento wanted Randle Plus for Fox. So those deals really never, those talks never got off the ground. But there is some interest in Randle around the league. which was two years ago, all NBA. Um, but I think the Knicks, if they're going to make a deal for Randle, they have to look at what Dallas did with the Porzingis model and understand, you know well, we may be taking guys that will fit us better than where they are, but the teams are taking them front seeing them as problems and they have to get rid of them because ultimately, listen, Randall's contract right now makes him a problem too. I yep. mean, this, this four-year extension kicks in at almost $30 million a year, four years, $120 million for a guy that some your team with a bad attitude last year. That's a tough sell, not an easy sell,
0: Howard. No doubt. And the other name was linked. I mean, the, the people were buzzing about Jalen Brunson and the Knicks. And I went, wait a minute. Mark Cuban can pay Jalen Brunson more than anybody. Do you think that Mark Cuban's going to let that guy walk out the door? I, I mean, I, he, just on contract alone, I, I just don't see it.
1: I Listen, I, I don't think so, but I think you have to understand something. With the Mavericks currently as financially constituted as they are now, signing brunson to a 25 million dollar year extension which is what it's going to require is going to cost mark cuban about 60 million a year so for cuban to be able to do this for brunson he's got to find a way to get off dinwiddie's deal or to get off breton's deal to save him some money with this kind of situation both of those guys maybe not dinwiddie but breton's is going to require attaching a first round pick to him to get rid of him so it's It's not as simple for Dallas as you would think. Cuban is going to step up with a major offer, but they're going to have to go through some cap gymnastics so this doesn't end up being a really, really expensive deal for Cuban. And keep one thing in mind about Brunson, the Knicks will be waiting on the wings on Brunson. Brunson's his agent is Leon Rose's son. He's got a very close relationship with the Rose family. And I certainly could see if he doesn't decide to go back to Dallas, I could see him being really happy
0: signing with the Knicks. Uh, Before I forget, uh, we got a final starting on Thursday. I'm looking at one factor early on in this series and how much it'll be a factor. Boston went the distance with Miami. Golden State has had days off to rest and relax and recuperate and so on. I'm wondering how much that Miami series took out of Boston and how it will affect them in the finals. I think it took plenty out of them. With that
1: said, I always feel like when you look at the rest versus rust argument, that rust hurts in game one, not enough rest hurts in game two. So I think you'll see Boston come out and be very competitive in game one. Adrenaline will carry them. And then even I think with a couple of days off, we'll almost hurt them more than it'll help them. And bouncing back to come back in game two, and I think it becomes a little bit more difficult um that's my feeling we'll see how it shakes out but that's i with that said i think boston's best chance to steal one of these first two in golden state is going to be in game one i think what they do in game one is going to loom very very important
0: well you got one coach who's got a lot of experience in this spot steve kerr and you got ime udoka who i mean i think he did a hell of a job this year uh i'm not saying he's the coach of the year necessarily but you can make a case uh, you know, I mean, the guy had a terrific year, and particularly the way that he outcoached Steve Nash in that opening series against Brooklyn. Uh, I mean, this guy, he's has set an early tone for this team. And I talked to my old pal Cedric Maxwell. I mean, everybody loves this guy.
1: Yeah, no, listen, there's no doubt about it. He's done a fantastic job here. He really has. He's been absolutely terrific. The anti Brad Stevens for this group. And I don't say that as a negative on Brad Stevens. I think that he is, you know, that Stevens kind of took this as far as he could take it with his coaching style. And for lack of a better term, they needed more piss and vinegar there. They needed some fires lit under certain guys. They needed, and early in the season, Udoka was taking shots at his guys publicly. He was talking about Tatum and Brown not sharing the ball with each other. And when Marcus Smart went, Full blown, go off on these guys publicly, and these guys had a problem with it. You don't get back, Marcus Smart, and it was a key moment for the Celtics with this season
2: because you look at what it's turned Jason Tatum into. Mm-hmm. Jason Tatum has turned into. This is the best statement I can make about Jason. Jason Tatum. Howard. He
1: has turned into as good an off-ball player as he is an on-ball player. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like the passing thing has set off. Certain other light bulbs in his head that weren't there. Like, what I mean, have you ever seen anybody do to Durant defensively what he did to him in the first round of the series? Yep. That's the playoffs. He was unbelievable there. Have that as a cutter. They won one of those net games because he cut to the basket. As an off ball cutter, he is lethal. And so you combine the passing, the rebounding, the defending, the cutting, all of it together. Tatum's become an amazing player. Does he do that with Brad Stevens? There is Brad Stevens' mild approach something that lights a fire under Jason Tatum in the way that he needed it. I don't think it is. I think email Yudoka doing it is what's made him realize who he can be and what he can be. And and Yudoka is a guy that they trust, they adore they don't want to displease and and he has kind of built that with these guys and he's in you know he has got his sleeves rolled up he's in the war with you that's who he is so to me I love the job has done I think that it was the perfect coach the perfect time for the Boston Celtics um I give all the credit in the world and while we're giving credit let's give it to Danny Ainge I mean look at this team short of the Derek White deal this is the team he built Every single one of these guys. Listen, even Orford was there the first time with Danny. Now he was brought back this time by Brad, and it was a fantastic move. But the core of this team was Danny Ainge went out and drafted the bench of his team. Danny Ainge went out and drafted Grant Williams, Peyton Pritchard, you know, Aaron Smith. He went out and got all these guys, and finally now, what his vision was for this team is being realized under Brad Smith. have um, the Brad Stevens name. Do you
0: I say, not a long series. I say I say, Golden State wins the series, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was five games. You say what?
1: Uh, Golden State seven. I think it's going long. Okay. I think it's going to be a very long one. I think Boston is really, really good. Um, I do think there's an experience factor here that's going to hurt the Celtics down the stretch of this series. But I, I am not sleeping on Boston at all. I think that Golden State in the end, having Curry, having Thompson, having Green, with their finals experience is going to be a major, major benefit. But I think there's some advantages Boston has athletically, defensively,
0: that will put them in this series for you know and take it right down to the end. I'm saying Golden State seven. Okay, and here's another prediction. I think the television ratings are going to be through the roof. You got East versus West, two marquee franchises. I think this is must see TV.
1: It, first of all, these are the best ratings of the NBA, and, and some of the games haven't been that competitive. And this has been the best ratings that the NBA has had since 2014. There's a new era of star here. And listen, as happy as the NBA was with who ended up in the Final Four, this was the dream matchup for the league and for the TV network. This is who they wanted. Boston is still a huge draw because of yep. their history and Golden State with Steph Curry was exactly what the league needed back in these finals. If they weren't going to have LeBron or Giannis or Luka there, this was who they needed. Or Joel Embiid, this was who they needed to be
0: there. Well, we'll see how it all shakes out. Geltz, appreciate your insight and your information about the NBA. You stay safe. Thanks.
1: You too, Howard. My pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Brian Geltziler, Sirius XM, NBA Radio. We talked at the very top about the Rangers beating uh, the Hurricanes last night. Didn't just beat them. They beat them up. And before you blinked, it was 2-0. And then it was 3-0. And look, to me, when you look at hockey players, the kind of shape that they've got to be in to play that game, that's why they're only on the ice for two minutes at a clip. It is exhausting. Plus the hits. I mean... Look, I've been a Ranger fan, as I mentioned, since I'm in high school. I went to the Old Garden on 49th Street with some friends of mine. We took the subway from Brooklyn, and it was great. And the Rangers weren't that good. But now they're a young team with a bright future. Whether or not they win the Stanley Cup or not, and the next round against Tampa Bay, who's won back-to-back Stanley Cups, is going to be brutal. Am I writing them off? Absolutely not. People were writing them off and they were down 3-1 to Pittsburgh. How'd that work out? People were writing them off and they were down 0-2 to the Hurricanes. How'd that work out? It's just a team that you look at the way they play, the way that Kreider can score, the way the goaltending has been. I, I find it incredible that this group of players... Just Doesn't give up. I Mean they're gonna they're going they are going they are going from one series to the next series to the next series and here they are in the conference finals And they've got a shot. They absolutely have a shot Well, I'd be disappointed if they don't win the Stanley Cup. No, not really But I think this is a this is a long series I could see this going seven games but, boy, would that be fantastic. Hey, I remember 94. Mateau, 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 that Howie Rose called when they won the Stanley Cup because they had a superstar in Marc Messier. All I'm saying is that it's not impossible to dream the dreams. And when you are a young team like the New York Rangers are, you can hope for the best. But it's not a pipe dream. It's a reality. They've proven that they're for real. We'll see how it shakes out, but I'm not I'm not making a a, a very abrupt decision by comparison to the Warriors and the Celtics. I hear what Geltzara was saying, and I don't disagree. I don't think it's gonna go seven games. And I think the Golden State wins because they are the more veteran team in terms, and they're going into their sixth final in eight years. They've been here before. They know what it feels like. The Celtics don't. What they've gone, what they've accomplished, I mean, the way they started out this season, barely a 500 team, and came on like a shot in the second half of the year. And a tremendous hire of Ime Udoka to coach that Celtic team. Hey, Steve Kerr needs no introduction. He learned from two of the best, Phil Jackson and a guy, uh, by the way, down in San Antonio, Mr. Popovich. So he's learned from the best. He is now one of the best. I would like to believe that the series goes the distance. And the team that wins, wins it with a buzzer-beater basket. That's the optimum result. But more often than not, the optimum result doesn't happen. All I'm saying is that this... NBA Finals is going to be fun. And if you're a New Yorker, where we are, and you would love to see the Rangers go all the way to the Finals and win the Stanley Cup, man, you look at what's going on in New York sports right now. Yeah, the the Yankees are struggling, struggling a little bit. The Mets are playing terrific baseball. I mean, the ultimate wish to see the Yankees play the Mets in the World Series. It's not impossible, it could happen. And in the NFL world in New York, you've got two teams that we think are going to be improved. I think the Jets more than the Giants. That's just an opinion based on who they have signed in free agency, picking up a couple of tight ends, who they have drafted, dealing with issues to help their young quarterback. So that's headed on the right track. And there's nothing to root for in terms of New York basketball other than look to the future i didn't say this before brian geltziler was on but i'll say it now i don't want kyrie irving on my team it's too much heavy lifting it's too it's too difficult too much heavy lifting to deal with a guy that comes with his own agenda this isn't a team guy this is a guy who's playing for kyrie irving And why Kevin Durant hasn't sat him down, and maybe he has, I don't know. But we know that Kevin Durant's one of the top five players in the NBA. And Kyrie Irving is certainly one of the top ten players in the NBA. And if he wasn't this good, we would be having this conversation. The fact is, he's a pain in the butt. Pure and simple. And I don't think it's worth it. But that's just my opinion. Maybe I'm too much of a realist. Maybe I see things as they are, not like I want them to be. So all I'm saying is that if you're the Brooklyn Nets and you're the owner of the team and you're Sean Marks, the general manager, you got to do something to fix this. And it's not just one decision. It's not just Kyrie Irving. You hope that Joe Harris comes back healthy. What do you do with Andre Drummond? Seth Curry is a proven long distance shooter. You want to keep him. Bruce Brown, you want to keep him. So can the Nets challenge again next year? Yeah, they can. Depends on what they do. That's all I'm saying. Thanks for being a part of Howard David Live and a bite of the Big Apple. You stay safe.